Chelsea Bay. And I'm Shay. Together, we are Fulfillment. Fulfillment is a storytelling event featuring local community leaders and entrepreneurs who share their personal journey towards fulfillment through vocation that will challenge you to come alive. The following stories are true, and no one's identity has been protected. Here's Fulfillment Stories podcast number 68. Singer-songwriter Aaron Dye has almost never been without a band. He has been leading the band Turbo Pup since 2015 and is now starting Stone Folk, and most of his music has a folk rock sound. What most people don't know is that he's also a very skilled glassblower. Here's Aaron's story from the May 2019 event. I want to take a walk in the woods. I want to be with you when you're feeling good. Oh, 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 my love. When you see the stars in the sky. So uh, I was 19 years old the first time I found myself homeless, living in the back end of a pickup truck, right here in Traverse City. Um, <laughs> it was after um, my dad had reached his breaking point, and he said, uh, you need to go figure your shit out. And he was justified for sure because, you know, I dropped out of college. Couldn't really hold a job. I was kind of floundering a while. I had a, I had a band that was going that was, I thought was really good, you know? It's called the Straw Hat Pirates. <laughs> I don't think, it, has anybody here heard of the Straw Hat Pirates? No? <laughs> nope. Um, anyways, but uh, I didn't really know what I was doing, you know? I, I, I knew that I liked music. I knew that I could write music. I knew that I loved to be in a band. I loved the brotherhood of being in a band. But I didn't really know what to do with all that. I didn't know where to go. So turns out tough love was exactly what I needed. Um, <clears throat> so a couple months later, I was uh, um, approached by one of my friends. He said, uh, hey, man, I got an uncle that's living out in Montana who's a painter, and he needs some help right now. And so I just jumped at it because I didn't have any better options, you know. It's co college dropout, <clears throat> and uh, so I wound up selling my truck, which was my home, <laughs> for some quick cash, and I headed west, leaving everything I knew behind. Now, when I got to Montana, and while I was living in Montana, I I, I did a lot of things. I was a painter. I worked at a grocery store. Um, I worked at a really awesome ski resort called Moonlight Basin, where I did a ton of different things. I did, uh, I did snow removal. I was a parking lot attendant. I ran a Zamboni on an ice rink. Um, you know, I, there, I, that's a whole other line of stories if you guys want to come talk to me about it. Um, but <clears throat> uh, yeah, I, I did like a. I worked in like a burrito place and a sushi place. Regardless, I struggled the first while that I was out there and I actually found myself the second time homeless my first summer in Montana. But the one thing that stayed consistent for me was music, that was the thing. 
And I didn't go more than three weeks without being in some sort of band doing something. And uh, there was one band that sort of took off uh, for a while. It was, uh, um, it was so popular in the beginning that we would have 30 or 40 people would randomly show up to our band practice just to watch us practice once a week. <laughs> it sort of became like this cool little hang. And uh, <clears throat> uh, it was actually the reason why we called it Archer's Mob was because so many people showed up. Um, now that band was together for about six and a half years and that's where I really cut my teeth as a performer and frontman. Um, it was definitely a really uh, crazy experience <laughs> uh, trying to figure it out, you know. Um, <clears throat> now during that time I had met a photographer uh, who was hanging out around the practices and uh, he said that uh, one day he's like, hey man, uh, I got this buddy who's moving here from Washington and, and uh, he's a glass blower and he needs a place to work. And we had this awesome practice space, so next thing you know, you know, our practice space and our fans <laughs> became his new uh, studio. Um, now I want to tell you a little bit about uh, mountain culture <laughs> because uh, it's kind of a strange culture. Now, people who live there know what it is, but basically everybody there is like a hustler of some kind, like everybody. Everybody's got some sort of side gig going on. And the jet setters and the techie businessmen and women, the college kids, and especially the musicians. <clears throat> now, the more uh, unique that your side hustle is, kind of the more interesting you are with the crowd. And uh, <clears throat> this glass man was Mr. Interesting himself. He was a world-class glass blower. He had trained with some of the greatest glass artists to, that lived, like Ches Ray, you know? And um, he went to Italy and trained with these people, you know? Uh, everybody wanted to get to know him and wanted to learn from him. You know, in this bohemian dreamland, where you know people are looking for that type of thing, all the ski bums. It was the perfect side gig. Now, <coughs> um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen glass blowing before, but it is one of the most memorizing things you can watch. Like, take your lakeside campfire and multiply that by like a thousand, and you'll get what watching glass blowing is like. So people were literally <laughs> drawn to him, like moths to the flame. <coughs> um, now, I, I had noticed this abrasive attention that he was getting. You know, everybody wanted a piece of him. Everybody wanted him to teach him the trade, you know, and I could tell that he didn't like that. And, you know, I, wanted, I was just as interested, but I didn't want to be that guy, you know. <clears throat> so I kept my distance for a while. And because this practice space was at my house, um, one day when I came home from working up at Moonlight, I was exhausted, and there he was in the shop, and he had the goggles down, and he's melting glass, molten hot glass. And he's, <laughs> he's like, hey, man, what's up? What are you doing? Hey, you want to you wanna give this a try? <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, you know what, man? I'm so tired. I just want a beer, and I just want to sit here and play my guitar, if that's all right. Now, later, I would find that that was the moment that he decided that I was going to be 
his apprentice. <laughs> but not before he disappeared for three months, because he would do that, right? He can go anywhere. It's the most amazing thing. You can go anywhere and do this trade. Um, <clears throat> now, months later, I ran into him at a, uh, at a concert downtown Bozeman, um, where he told me that he had a plan, and he asked me if I wanted in. I mean, he had a dream, and he asked me to be a part of it. <clears throat> And without hesitation, I was like, well, yeah, let's do it. <clears throat> it turns out I wasn't that bad. I was actually a pretty quick learner. And, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, along the way, it's a lot of really tough lessons learning how to be a glassblower. There's a lot of deep frustrations. There's uh, a lot of cuts, a lot of burns. And uh, one of the most important lessons that I learned as a glassblower was that it's not what you can make but it's what you can fix. Now, <coughs> failure and repetition was the name of the game, basically, right? So <coughs> after a few years, we had expanded the shop. Uh, we had brought in different, uh, uh, I had three different apprentices that worked underneath me. And we were doing really well. Um, we were, you know, I don't know. We were doing great. We could, we could pick up the whole shop and go somewhere. It was cool. Um, <clears throat> my band was doing really well at the time. Archer's Mob was doing really well. Um, we uh, were selling out all of our shows. We were uh, putting a record together that was a lot of fun. Um, <clears throat> I, had, I had this beautiful girlfriend at the time. I, I had this really awesome house, you know. I was, you know, really killing it. And after six years at this point of, of living in Montana, I felt like I'd gotten my my degree in the school of hard knocks, you know? Everything started to, was coming easy. It was all, it was awesome. <laughs> For a while, anyways. <clears throat> but then I started to notice the signs of the decline. <clears throat> and uh, basically my boss <clears throat> started to be late on our paychecks. And it turns out that he started buying cocaine and was trying to sell it back before payday. Not too smart. <clears throat> it seemed that his Playboy lifestyle was more important to him than the people that he had working and running his business. Ooh, where was I here? Oh, yes, around this time, uh, <laughs> I started having some bumps in my relationship. I found, I found out about my partner's infidelity, and uh, turns out she was two-timing me with a guitar player across town. You guys laugh, but it hurt. <laughs> and as the old joke goes, uh, what do you call a bass player who breaks up with his girlfriend? <laughs> yes, homeless. And so I was again for the third time homeless. And, <laughs> and uh, I had this van. I still have this van. It's a 1985 Toyota van. And... Um, <laughs> and uh, it was it, it was broke it was broke down at the time, and I moved into it behind our studio, and uh, you know it was rough, uh, <laughs> but I was moving forward, you know I was uh, saving up to get a place, and uh, you know just kind of keeping my nose down trying to stay together, but then uh, once again my boss the one, I'm one paycheck away from getting the deposit saved up for my new house and. 
my boss comes to me and he says, I don't have your pay. I'm going to Burning Man. I need, I need your pay for a laptop computer at Burning Man. <coughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, man, <laughs> I just think just reminding me. Oh, God. <coughs> uh, and, of course, when he got back, you know, I would have missed my opportunity uh, to move into this new house, you know. And it was then that I realized that he didn't really have my best interests in mind, you know. And maybe it's time for me to move on. No, <clears throat> and at this point, having this whole thing kind of blow up, this is all v very, like, in a couple weeks this had happened. Um, whole breakup thing, you know. And uh, at this point, I was feeling pretty emotionally bankrupt. And I didn't think it could get much worse. And then there was a, uh, a cruel twist of fate when one of my best friends and one of the people that had helped me most through the worst of this had died in a motorcycle wreck, September 12th, 2012. And uh, <coughs> um, I didn't just hit the ground, I had my, my face rubbed into it, really, being homeless and not having anything like that. Um, <coughs> now, <sighs> Ooh, yeah. Now I'll have to give my folks some props here. They're not here tonight, but I love them very much um, because they really helped me through this um, difficult period where my brain was like mud. I couldn't really make great decisions then, and <coughs> um, you know, I just yeah. I love them. Shout out to my pops. <laughs> um, it was also in this time where I met this guy. His name was uh, uh, Brian Siegel, but everybody called him Birdman. <laughs> and uh, I actually met him the same day of uh, Cody's funeral. And he saw that I was a wreck. And he had a place that he was renting. And he was like, hey, you know, we're, we can help you out. I didn't have much money. You know, I, c I was trying to figure my stuff out. And so <coughs> um, he gave me a place, and, and, I, and I don't know what I would have done without him and Dylan, uh, my roommate that I moved in with. Uh, for a while there, I, I, I felt defeated. I'd hit rock bottom. I couldn't make a relationship work. I just quit the biggest career thing that I had going for me. But I knew I had to do something, or I was going to go down a frightening path. So still brokenhearted, I opened up my own shop. I almost starved the first winter, <laughs> but I made it work. And the band was still holding on by a thread just a little bit. I spent most of my time working on my craft and started writing my own music again, realizing fully at this point that music was my remedy. It was my companion, my trusty companion, my true love. During this period, I had a lot of time to clear my head. I became aware of the agendas other people had been placing on me. <clears throat> I realized that my true friends, or that I thought were my true friends, were using me for their own ends. It was no good. I'd realized this about a good friend of mine who was a violin player, and it was in my band at the time. And he came out to my house one day to confront me over some bullshit, over some sort of rumor that he had heard in town. 
And I think it was the lack of my reaction that caused him to freak out. But he yelled at me and he said, you are a hack. Your songs are stolen. Your accomplishments don't amount to shit. And in that moment, I had a, a, a single epiphany. He was throwing these me mental daggers at me, and I realized that I'm just a reflection of the way he feels about himself. <clears throat> and I saw the daggers, and I let them pass, and I said, I quit. And that was the last time I, play I saw <laughs> the Archer's Mob <laughs> group. That was the end of the mod mob. <clears throat> Anyways, <clears throat> um, it wasn't long after I, I ended up in an in a awesome power trio band that was uh, really re rejuvenating for me. Um, I wound up touring the West in, in an <laughs> old church bus, learning about the pocket and playing bass. I was immersed in music. It was the best time for me ever. Um, <clears throat> Of course, how those things that go that don't, don't always work out. The drummer quit the band, and I sort of went with the drummer. But we went and, uh, and got like some jobs working at uh, uh, some local recording studios. It was my first time working as a session bass player, and was probably one of the coolest things I've ever done. And I miss those days. Those are the days I miss. <clears throat> but then, the ultimate blow. The ultimate blow. It snowed in the summer. <laughs> it snowed. I had snow in my, in my yard June 20th. I had, <laughs> we had snow in the middle of July driving through the Great Divide on the way to a gig. And then to top the cherry off, we had snow on August 11th on my dad's birthday. No. No. So... <laughs> so you know, coming from here and, and all the magical summers that we have here, I, f I snapped, man. I was like, nope, nope, nope. I'm getting out of here. I'm going back to Michigan where it's still summer somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, and so when I got back, I, I hooked up with my dad and my brother, and we went out. They, every year, my dad and his buddies would go on this sailing adventure they call the Fall Cruise. Now... <clears throat> We, <laughs> I got on this boat and I did this trip with them and I was just like, holy shit. I didn't even know how much I was missing this. Like this was such a huge part of my childhood that I didn't know that was not in my life anymore. And uh, <laughs> it was all about, you know, riding the water and harnessing the wind. There's something that just like speaks to me about that, you know. <laughs> All, right. All right, I'm glad you guys appreciate that. <clears throat> A lot of motorboaters in here, I know, I know, I can see you. <clears throat> so I decided to move back, and I've since expanded my glass blowing uh, business. Thank you. It's, uh, I am the number one seller in the three head shops that I represent down in Grand Rapids. Cha-ching! Um, Anyways, I, I, I started a band when I got back called Turbo Pup. Maybe some of you guys have heard of it. Um, it was a great band. I learned a lot in that band. I learned a lot about leadership and what not to do. Um, if any of you have heard, but Turbo Pup has actually been retired in the last couple weeks. Um, 
<laughs> that, I'll still play that song. Yeah, definitely. Maybe I'll play that one later for you. Yeah? Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, but I learned a lot about leadership and I learned a lot about people, you know? Running a band is a lot like running a sailboat. You have a crew of volunteers that are all working together, working a machine together at maximum efficiency to achieve the same goal. You know, and, and morale is a huge part of that. And I fumbled that big time. I feel like I did. <clears throat> but music is a revolving door, and these things, they come and they go. It's the nature of the beast. I have a new project now. It's called Stone Folk. I hope you guys go check it out. We're, we're going on tour to Vermont this summer. Uh, it's a little trio, you know, going to have some fun. Um, so... This is my thing. I have a crazy obsession with music, right? But I owe my life to it. I really do. I don't know where I would be without it. I could have gone down some really dark paths. And for that re that's the main reason why I keep doing this. Now, I've moved probably 14 different times. I've been, I was homeless three different times. I lost a best friend. I lost and found love along the way. Which, by the way, I have a wonderful, amazing, beautiful partner who supports my crazy antics. My girlfriend, Tina. Woo! Yeah, baby. Um, <clears throat> I've been in probably 15 different bands. Mishaps, maybe you can call them. And uh, along the way, I learned what it means to fail. I learned what it means to be a failure. That's basically the definition of my life. <clears throat> but I want you to know that it's not something that you should be afraid of or ashamed of. It's how we learn, and it's essential to how we grow. Don't be afraid. So my challenge is to you, and you, 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 is to be open about failure and to open yourself to it and open yourself to the possibility because sometimes failure can lead to the best things in life, <laughs> you know? There is something true there's something real and genuine about not being perfect. Thank you, guys.